There we go. Now you'll be able to hear me. That'll help. It's good to be here this evening and to worship our Lord together. I think most of you, those of you who go to church with me know who I am. I'm Pastor Matt Oswell from Beaver Community Church. Uh, We were here in June and it's just so good to, to fellowship with you here at BCBC. We're so thankful for your support and just for the the ties that that our churches have together, doing VBS together and all that. So I'm so thankful just to be here this evening to worship. So why don't I just say a word of prayer and then we'll go to God's Word this evening. Lord, thank you for the truth of your Word and that your Word is all about your Son, Jesus. And that's what we're here to remember tonight. Lord, it is... We, we say that today is Good Friday when we celebrate the death of your Son, but because we know how good it was, that He is the only way that we could come to you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your word this evening, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to worship you, to rejoice in who you, Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you'd help us for a little while just to to be there as we were singing, to, to, to stand at the foot of the cross and just wonder at the great love and grace that was shown there. So Lord, encourage us, help us to see Jesus tonight. And It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So we are going to be, we've been at uh, Beaver, we've been going through Mark's version of the Easter story. So I would encourage you, please turn in your Bibles to Mark 15. And we're just going to walk through his account of the crucifixion. We were so blessed last Sunday to have several of the young people in our church, some who are sitting here and my kids, who were saying the song, Why, by Michael Card. And I I love that song. If you've never heard it, I'd encourage you, go home and listen to it. It's a great meditation for Easter week. But one of the chorus, one of the lines, actually, one of the verses in that song the, Michael Card writes, Why did it have to be a thorny crown pressed upon his head? It should have been a royal one, made of jewels and gold instead. But it had to be a crown of thorns, because in this life that we live, for all that would seek to love, a thorn is all the world has to give. And I think that song expresses very well what we will see tonight in the Gospel of Mark. That the King of the universe, the one who holds all things together, came to this earth and was hung on a cross. And furthermore, what I want us to notice as we walk through this passage this evening is how often Jesus was mocked and ridiculed and cast aside. Even though he really was the King, he was treated the complete opposite. In fact, he was treated as a common criminal. The world despised and rejected its Savior. So the the big idea we're going to see is Jesus, God's Son, the King of the universe, died on Calvary so that we might live. Right? Jesus was mocked and ridiculed, but the most amazing reality of it all is that it was so that we might have eternal life. He was making a way to God. We're going to see that Jesus was mocked, crucified, and put to death so that mankind might have true life in him. So let's look in Mark's gospel. We're just going to consider 
tonight in a few parts. Verses 16 through 32, we're going to see the king mocked and crucified. And then in verses 33 through 38, we'll see the death of the king. And then I want us to focus in on just one verse at the end. Verse 39, I've been pondering it for several weeks now. We're going to see the centurion. And we're going to kind of, it zooms in on one character at the end here who comes to the Lord. And that's, that's, that'll be the last point. So let's look at this first part here in Mark 15, 16 through 32. And just to catch you up on where we've been, Mark 14 talks about how Jesus is captured. Right? He goes to the garden to pray and tells his disciples to wait, and, and they fall asleep. And then the, 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 the posse comes and takes Jesus away. And then in Mark 15, 1 through 15, Jesus appears before Pilate. The Jewish leaders couldn't sentence him to death, so they took him to the Roman ruler Pilate, who in, verse, in Mark 15, 15, uh, said, this happened. It said, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate gave in to the demands of the Jewish leaders. He, we see in, another, in John's Gospel especially, Pilate really didn't think Jesus was guilty, but he caved under political pressure. They traded Jesus for a common criminal, and furthermore, they had him scourged. And that's the, this is kind of the worst sort of beating that anyone could experience. It's not just whips. This is a whip embedded with thorns or pieces of glass that would just have torn him up. And so that's where we jump into here in, verses, in verse 16. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20 to start here. It says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put on his own clothes, I put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. So we see in these verses here the opening mockery of Jesus. Here's the slow march to the cross that's beginning. And it starts off in a terrible way. Right They're, they're mocking him. We're going to see this theme come up again and again. They were mocking him as king. These are the charges that he'd end up being... Trump that he'd end up being put up on, that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And here they are mocking him with the crown of thorns and the cloak and, and paying fake homage to him and just making a, a complete fools of themselves, really. And they're striking him and spitting on him. And Jesus is completely exhausted from the beating that he just took, and he just takes it. Right? It's really a, a terrible scene, a, a, a cruel mockery the soldiers are making of the Lord Jesus. And again, remember, he's just physically exhausted from this beating, and now they're about to lay a heavy wooden cross on his shoulders and lead him away up a hill to be crucified. Look at verses 21 through 32 now. It says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, 
who is coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so even more mockery and shame and ridicule from every which way. But first, there's just this interesting interaction in verse 21 with this fellow named Simon. He's just a passerby. He's just walking along the road. It says here, Mark, he's with his two, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I don't think he'd mention that unless Alexander and Rufus were right there with him. Right? And all of a sudden, Dad gets just pulled to the side to carry the cross for the exhausted Christ who had been whipped. I can't help but wonder what was going through his mind. What was Simon thinking? Did he know? Had he seen Jesus' ministry? Did he have any clue what was going on? What were his sons thinking? I'm sure they were a little bit scared. All of a sudden, Dad has to carry this cross up the hill, and this mob is following this criminal, they would have thought. I'm sure there was confusion, disbelief, and fear. And so they, they get to the top of the hill. It, it, um, it says that the place was Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they nail Jesus to the cross. And it says, in, it mentions there in verse 23 that they offered him um, this sour wine. This, this would have been an anesthetic. They would have given it to the criminals to take the edge off, to take the pain off, or a painkiller to numb the agony. And it's so interesting that Jesus refuses. Right? He had every right to take it. But it's as if he did not want to take the edge off the pain. He didn't want to try to make it easier on himself. He was obedient to God till the end. As Dan read earlier from Isaiah 53, he went through all of it for our sake. Verse 24 mentions that they're then dividing his garments. Right? As if this, this situation is not absurd enough, they take his clothes off of him and they're gambling for them. They're casting lots for them underneath the cross, just making a complete sport of it. What's fascinating is that this fulfills a prophecy. Now, we might think this is just a random detail, kind of a sad detail, but actually in Psalm twenty-two eighteen, it says that they would do this. And I'll talk about Psalm 22 more in a minute. Just, we'll put a pin in that. But the, the, the agony continues. The crucifixion continues. It says in verse 25 that it was the third hour when they crucified him. So this 
most likely was early in the morning. This is about 9 a.m. And he, and he hangs up there for a while. And it mentions the inscription in verse 26. I mentioned earlier, the charges against him, Jesus didn't do anything wrong, right? He didn't murder anybody. He didn't assault anybody. He didn't rob anybody. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so read the charge above his head so that anybody would pass by could see what he was being executed for. There's such a fascinating interaction. I always, I love this interaction in John's gospel, in John 19, 19 through 22. Jesus and Pilate have this conversation. Or Jesus and the, and the religious leaders, excuse me, have this conversation about Jesus being king. It says in John 19, 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So the, the religious leaders didn't like it, right? It's written there in all three main languages of the time. Everybody would know what was going on. They wanted him to say, he claims to be the king. We know he's not, but he claims to be. Why did Pilate do this? One commentator said maybe it was Pilate's last revenge on those who forced his hand. And it very well might have been. That kind of seems like what he was doing. He was just needling the Pharisees. Maybe Pilate had some pretty close interactions with Jesus. And maybe something was getting through. I don't know. We, we really don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But in any case, it's very interesting. The inscription didn't say that he said he was the king of the Jews. It said who he was. He is the king of the Jews. Right? We know that Jesus truly was the king of the Jews. Right? Not only is he God's son sent to earth as the Messiah, but he was born into the right family. He had the right bloodlines. He could have been king of the Jews if someone was sitting on David's throne. They wanted him to be. Right, if was Palm Sunday that we celebrated just a few days ago, right, as he was marching in, they were hoping that that's what he would do, that he would go in to sit on the throne and be king. Now he's hanging on a cross. But the thing is, too, we need to remember, Jesus wasn't, isn't just king of the Jews. Right? The reason Jesus went to the cross was because he was doing something so much bigger than just saving one people group, than just making a political power move. He was doing something so much bigger than, than just for one nation. Jesus is king over the whole world. 2 Timothy 4.1 says this. It says, Christ Jesus is one who is to judge the living and the dead. Right? He's the judge over all people. One day, everybody who is alive in the past, who will be alive in the future, who is alive today, will stand before Jesus because he is king over all. <clears throat> in Revelation 1 verse 5, we get this picture it says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Right? He, it doesn't just say there that he's a ruler and a king. No, he's the ruler of the kings. 
And the idea is that Jesus is so much higher and what he accomplished is so much bigger than just a political move for the Jewish people. He is king over all. Yet here he hung between two thieves on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Verse 27 mentions these, these fellas. Right, with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his right, one on his left. It's interesting, back in Mark 10.37, we have this, this interaction between James and John. I think most of you are familiar with it. They came to Jesus at one point and they said, Jesus, we know that you're going to establish the kingdom. When you, get, when you do this, can we sit on your right and on your left? Right? They're trying to get a good spot in, in his cabinet. And Jesus had an interest, his response was, well, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Will you suffer for my name? And then it's fascinating, just this is probably just a, a week or a little more later, here is Jesus on a cross, and on his right and on his left are two thieves. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Following him, being next to Jesus, doesn't, doesn't mean a road of ease and, a, and an important political position. It means suffering. This fulfills, in verse, verse 28, verse 28, incidentally, it's, I went to find it here in my ESV, it's not there. The ESV and the NIV leave it out. There's just a, a translation issue there. Some of you who have different versions will have it in there or you have a note. But, but verse 28 says, So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. It's referring to what Dan read earlier, Isaiah 53.12. It says there that Jesus would be killed as a common criminal, as a thief, as, as someone who deserved it, even though he didn't. So once again, we have another fulfilled prophecy. And then we see all this mocking in verses 29 through 32. Right? Those who passed by were mocking him. Right? He was killed near a main highway. The Romans would do this to make an example of the people. So that as everybody walked by on their daily business, they'd see the, the thieves up there, and it was a warning. They'd see the criminals. So you've got constant foot traffic right, going by, and they're all mocking him. Some of them are mocking him. They said, oh, he's the one that said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it. Can't even get himself out of this. What's, what's worse is the religious leaders. Right, it's, I, it's interesting, in verses 31 through 32, they're saying the same sort of thing, right? He saved others, why can't he save himself? And then verse 32 is fascinating to me, where they say, let the king of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Really? Were these, and so now they're ready, right? They, they've, they've opposed him for two years, continually been against him. They've trumped him up on false charges, and, and now they've got him crucified, and now they're saying they're ready to believe? These guys weren't ready to believe. This is just more mocking. I really do believe Jesus could have come down off that cross, and their hearts were hardened. They, were, they had no intention of following him. They're just mocking him more. And you just see... Again, the, the, what he was put through, the physical and mental anguish. 
And the thing is, it's true, right? Could he have come down off of there? You bet he could have, right? He's the king of the universe. He could have come down off of there with a bunch of angels and just got after those Pharisees and the Romans. But that was never going to happen. That was not God's will. Jesus was there to die as the ultimate sacrifice. So, it's, a, it's amazing here. As we've looked at the, the characters so far, we've just seen complete ridicule and mockery. Everyone is against Jesus. Let's continue to look at the narrative here in verse 33 through 38. It says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So here we see the end. The death of the king. I mentioned a little bit ago that it says he was hung up there the third hour, probably about nine o'clock. So now it's noon, the sixth hour. And darkness comes over the whole land. That is very unusual. We we wouldn't know what to do if that happened. Although here in the Northwest, maybe we're a little more used to darkness. But you know what I mean. Even for us, this would have been something. This was pitch black. This was like midnight darkness over the whole land. Everybody would have paid attention. In Amos 8, 9, it says, there's this prophecy, it says, On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. So he did. Yet another prophecy. And it's as if God is turning his face away here. Right? This is the end. Right? Jesus, we see here, it mentions that he breathed his last. There's really a sense in which Jesus gave up his spirit. He didn't hang there as long as most people would who were crucified. He wasn't there for hours and perhaps days. No, the, the, the mental and physical agony was intense. But the worst part of the crucifixion was this moment. It was when the darkness rolled in and God turned his face away and the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. This is where the the sins of all eternity were being heaped upon him. Every sin before that time and every sin after, he was paying the price for sin. And that's why in verse 34, Jesus has that cry of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I really don't think we can even begin to fathom what this felt like. Right? Jesus had had perfect communion with his Father for eternity. They were one. They had worked together at creation to create the whole universe. Jesus had come to earth to perfectly fulfill God's plan. And we see time and time again, he was in constant fellowship with his Father, right? praying and, and calling upon the Lord, calling upon his Father. 
And now, at this moment, that perfect relationship was severed. And the sins of all mankind were poured out upon him. What's, what's fascinating as well is this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the exact, word for word, Psalm 22.1. I said I would mention Psalm 22 again. Well, here's where it comes up. And I do believe Jesus is saying these words, not only because he felt this agony of the Father pouring his wrath out, but also to point people to further prophecy fulfilled. And I don't have, I'm not going to take time tonight to read Psalm 22, but I would encourage you to do so. It is amazing how specific it describes the crucifixion. David wrote it. David is talking about himself, but it's about Jesus. I mean, it's just as clear as day. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. I think Jesus was using this moment so that his disciples would go back and read it, perhaps, and understand. And there's some confusion. Right? He, he's using the words Eloi, Eloi. And so some people said, oh, he's calling for Elijah. And so they don't know really what's going on. And they're running around trying to get him some more wine. And these, this, is, this is the end. Jesus is about to give up his spirit. And verses 37 and 38 are very, very important. Right? He breathed his last. And as soon as he did it, it says the... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Right? This wasn't as if a, a bed sheet got torn. Right? We, we, could, we can do that. This was an immense cloth with incredible thickness that, that multiple men could not have torn asunder. It would have been clear to the people that the only way this could have happened was by a supernatural act of God. And this was a curtain that hung between the outer courtyard that people could come into and the inner courtyard, the Holy of Holies, that only the priests could go. And this was a sign that the inner sanctum of the temple was now accessible because of Jesus. Something happened at that moment when, when Jesus gave up his spirit, something incredible was happening. In the book of Hebrews Verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 19 to 20, it says this Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Right? Those verses are saying Jesus' flesh was torn, so the curtain was torn. And it was, a, it was signifying that God was making a way for people to come to him. They no longer needed to come by way of the old sacrificial system, by lambs and goats. They came through Jesus. So, Jesus is dead. And I just want us to notice verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last... He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. It's really incredible. Remember, all we've seen is opposition. The disciples fled a while ago. It's Romans and, and, and people walking by mocking him. The religious leaders hate Jesus. And at the end, at his death, 
There's this centurion. Something about the way Jesus died struck him, and he gets it, right? We know that he gets it, because he doesn't just say, well, that was a good man. Oh, wow, he didn't deserve to die. No, he says, this was the Son of God. That's the realization that everyone needs to come to, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is God's Son. What caused him to come to repentance here? Maybe it was just how kind and and loving Jesus was in the face of his enemies and opposition. Luke's gospel records this, that as Jesus was hanging there, he looked down and, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How incredible is that? Right, if people were mistreating me in that way, that sort of sentiment would be the furthest from my mind. And yet that's how Jesus, that just shows his great love. That's how he acted. So perhaps that man was struck by his demeanor throughout, and it just clicked there at the end. It seems like he, he got a sense of Jesus' deity, right? to realize that he was the Son of God. This wasn't just a Pharisee, another priest, another traveling preacher. No, this, this guy was different. Maybe he had witnessed some of Jesus' ministry, and he was now coming to the truth. But in any case, we will see this Roman, this foreigner, this, this pagan worshiper, He turned to Jesus and he will be in glory with us one day. Truly this man was the Son of God. And I want to end here tonight for a reason, right? It's such a great way for Mark to kind of end this segment of the Easter story with a conversion. It's a great reminder of why Jesus died, right? He died so that we might live. John's Gospel, John 20, 31, he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's it. That's what this is all about. He died so that we might have life. The only way to true life, to eternal life, is through Jesus. If the answer to why you are a Christian starts with the word I, you don't understand the gospel. The only way to God is through Jesus. We didn't do it. We can't do enough. It's not about us. It's not about church attendance. It's not about our morality. It is about what Jesus did. And so the question for us continually and for us tonight is this, it's, is Jesus your only hope? Right, in a few moments, we're going to gather and celebrate communion, and that is what we are celebrating, that He is the only way to God. He is the only way. And so I pray that if there are those here this evening who have not come to this realization like the centurion, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the the spotless, sacrificial lamb who tore the curtain in two, that they would. And for the rest of us, may we rejoice that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our souls. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in our worship. Lord, thank you that you were willing to endure the pain. Lord, when we look at the the physical agony that you went through, the the beatings, the the crown of thorns, the 
the crucifixion hanging there. It's just overwhelming. And then more than that, the, the, the spiritual anguish that you went through as the wrath of God against the sins of all eternity was poured out on you. It's truly amazing. Truly is wondrous love. And Lord, thank you that as we, we have seen tonight, salvation is through you alone. Lord, thank you for this wonderful picture of the centurion who is standing there. He's assisting in the death of your son, and yet somehow he comes to saving faith. And, and story, there's story after story like that. Of those who were once your enemies, you have made your friends. So Lord, I pray tonight, that if there are those here who really don't know what it means to find true eternal life in Jesus, that they would come to saving faith. I pray that, that those who are here, that, that our, our salvation story would not have anything to do with us, but it would be all about the work of Jesus. Thank you that your blood is enough. It's all we need. That you truly did pay it all. And so, Lord, as we continue in our worship tonight, may we rejoice in the all-sufficient work of your Son, in whose name I pray. Amen.